water, water, everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Those words are from the famous poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. When I chose them two weeks ago to be the title of the sermon, I had no idea how relevant they would be. If you're familiar with that poem, the mariner and his crew had depended their whole lives on the wealth of the ocean for their livelihood, for nutrition, for their lives. And now they find themselves dying, literally, of thirst, surrounded by an ocean of water that is of no benefit to them. The very thing they had relied upon is now death-dealing because it's salt water. I was at the store yesterday morning to make my normal grocery run to pick up a few fresh things and a few items and was shocked at the panic that I saw embodied by these tremendously long lines of people. And in those lines were people with one and two carts that were filled to overflowing with a multiplicity of items in numbers far greater than they could have possibly used in an entire month. And then there were others with empty shopping carts staring at empty shelves because the things they needed just for today were sitting over in the shopping carts of those who had taken more than they needed because they're afraid there won't be enough. Those of us who invest in the stock market are in a panic because it seems to be careening out of control and we don't know what's going to happen to our retirement and other investments. And those who never had the privilege of investing in the stock market because they work day to day and are hourly workers and barely make it paycheck to paycheck are also in a panic because their income is gone. We have a healthcare system that is scrambling to address what the World Health Organization has now called a global pandemic in the face of a government that for political reasons did not address it appropriately or timely and is still using it to advance a political agenda rather than address the very real needs of people. And in the middle of all that, if things couldn't get worse, our bishop issues a statement acknowledging that he has been working with those who are seeking to take conservatives out of the United Methodist Church, that he has actually been part of the design team of this new Methodist denomination that will continue to discriminate against LGBTQ persons, continuing the harm from a theology that is rooted in literalist fundamentalism that led to the kind of hate-mongering that occurred on the edge of our property last Sunday. And then the bishop's council has announced that they are recommending that the general conference in May be postponed for good reason because thousands of delegates will be coming here from all over the world and their health, as well as those they are exposed to, may be at risk. And yet, there are millions of LGBTQ people who have been harmed by the church, including the United Methodist Church, and our society, and the world for decades, 
And this is going to continue that harm, allow that harm to continue to go on. Friday night in the wee hours of the morning, because of time differences, I got a call from my son Jonathan who is a chef, runs a restaurant in New Zealand. His wife Laura is a teacher, is very concerned, not so much about New Zealand at this point, they have a limited number of cases and are acting quickly, but about what he was hearing about the United States and Ireland where his wife is from. We talked for a while and then when it was time to hang up, I could hear the quiver in his voice as he said, so mom, if something happens to you and Jack, Jack and I are old enough to be in the at-risk category, or something happens to Laura's granddad in Ireland who's around 90 and also very at risk, or Grandma Turley, my mother who is in a nursing facility in Marietta and is in total quarantine lockdown, I can't even go visit her. If something happens, mom, we won't be able to get there. And if something happens here, you won't be able to get to us. I said, I know, baby. I know. So take several deep breaths and focus on what you can do. You can pray. You can take good care of yourselves. Do what you can to stay healthy. And then do what you can to take care of those around you who you actually can help and it'll be okay. God has not abandoned us, even though it feels like that sometimes right now. And then I told him, go get something good to eat for dinner. It was dinner time there, about three o'clock in the morning here. Get a good night's sleep, hug Laura, and we'll talk next week. We are in a moment in time when we, in some ways, are literally out of control. There's not a lot we can do to fix most of this. We can do our part, but it feels frightening. I would like you to take just a minute, wherever you are, and just get still and identify that feeling within yourself. We're all having it, and the sooner we acknowledge it, the better we're able to help each other deal with it. Like the woman at the well, we were seeking the things that could not satisfy. And now we hear our Savior speaking, draw from my well that never will run dry. Fill our cups, Lord, we lift them up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of our souls. Bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. Fill our cup, fill it up and make us whole. Let's pray. God, we ask you to quiet our hearts, to speak into our fear, 
to gather us up in your loving arms and hold us until we stop shaking. Help us lay down beside you in the boat and rest even as this storm rages. Remind us that you are with us, that you are still God, and that you will never forsake us or abandon us. When all that we have counted on to support us, to keep us safe, begins to unravel, when there is water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Help us hear again your invitation to drink deep from your life-giving well of living water that never runs dry. Remind us that you are present with us as we gather to share just even a piece of bread and a cup of juice to relieve one another's hunger, to slake one another's thirst, and that you are most present to us when we love you by loving our neighbors as ourselves. God, we ask you to speak so you can hear us. We can hear you this morning and you can hear us because we need to drink deep from your well of life so that we can go forth in this moment filled to overflowing and offering that life to all those around us who are also afraid, also in panic, also not sure how they're going to pay the rent and not sure whether their loved ones will be there tomorrow. Some of us have been in that space before, and we know you are faithful. So we ask you to speak so we can hear you this morning. Amen. I love scripture. These ancient texts, when we encounter them as a living, breathing, adapting story that changes because it's the story of God's encounter with people and people's attempt to understand that God and embrace that God. And sometimes they get it wrong, and that's actually part of the story because we get it wrong, then we learn and we're able to expand our vision of God. And so we'll talk about that in another sermon. But what amazes me this morning is how these texts can be relevant in any circumstance in which we find ourselves if we'll actually listen to them. And so our three texts for this morning, which were gathered by the lectionary writers, who knows how long ago, are actually what we need to hear this morning. In the book of Romans, when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he reminds the church that our life is in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our Savior, that there's no condemnation for any of us, even in our fear and doubt, because we belong to God. And then he reminds us that in this life we will have adversity. That theology that's going on out there that says if you do everything right and are right with God, you're, all's going to be great and you're not going to have any trouble, is not biblical. Paul tells us we'll have adversity. Jesus tells us we'll have adversity. And so here we are in the midst of adversity. And Paul has the gall to say, so rejoice in it. What's wrong with him? Is he some kind of sadist or masochist or... No, I think we can grieve in adversity, 
But Paul wants us to remember that God's with us in it. And if we will stay centered in who we are and in the God who is with us and who loves us and will never forsake us, then that adversity will develop within us perseverance. And that perseverance will develop within us character. And that character will produce a hope in us that unlike all these other things we have hoped in that are falling apart, the hope we have in God will never disappoint us because it is rooted in the love of God that has been poured out by the Holy Spirit in us. And if we'll let it flow, will flow out of us as streams of living water for the thirsty, our own thirst and the thirst of others, even in the midst of this circumstance. And so I want you to claim that this morning. And then our Old Testament pushes it a little further because what we're reminded of in this text is that even when we doubt, even when we fear, even when we give in to panic, God still doesn't leave us. God continues to be faithful whether we are or not. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. We have in this text from Exodus the story the children of Israel have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They are physically free in the wilderness. But they're a little bit afraid because now they're in a place where unlike the mariner and his crew, there's not even salt water around. There is no water everywhere and they're in a desert and they can't survive without water. We can't survive without the stock market or our paychecks or a church that actually supports us or a health system that's overwhelmed and all of the things we could list that have got us so terrified right now. That's where they were. And so they complained to Moses who had led him out of Egypt And they want to go back. They want to go back to the rules and the box and the system because they know how it works. They know how to get water, even if it's not the best water, and how to get food there. But they don't know what to do in this wet desert because they've got to totally trust on God. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a scary thing. And so they complain. And Moses, like any leader does who is frustrated, who is faced with a dilemma or a challenge that they can't fix either, Rather than admitting they can't fix it, he blames the people. Hey, God, these people are complaining. Would you do something about that? But you know what? God doesn't blame the people for being afraid. God doesn't punish the people for complaining. They need water, and now they've actually cried out to God, and so has Moses, because Moses realizes that despite all his education and credentials and everything else, he can't fix this, and he's going to have to trust God, too, in a way that he can't see that doesn't fit the rules or the box in which he was trained. And in that moment, God shows up with life-giving water. The people are at their end of what they can do. Moses is at the end of what he can do, and so he seeks God's wisdom, and God gives it. So when we surrender and acknowledge that this depends on God, God, we need God to show up here, it doesn't mean we don't have work to do. He had to get still and listen. And then he had to do what God told him to do. Now get this. God tells him, take some of the religious leaders who are already critical of you and go out in the desert to this big rock. If any of you have been in the desert and seen these huge rocks, and meet me there because I'm going to have you hit that rock and water's coming out of it. Yeah, right, God. Are you kidding? Do you know what those leaders would say if I did that? They would call me a fool. And besides, I know better. He could have said that. 
He could have also said what leaders sometimes do, you know what, I know better than this, and I know that there's no way forward here that could actually make water in the desert for all of us, so I'm going to take as many people as I can back to Egypt and the rules. We're going to design another system that we can control. Instead of saying, okay, God, I don't get this. It's scary, but I'm going to do what you tell me to do, and I'm going to lead my people without fear. And Moses chooses to do that. So he takes the leaders, they go to the rock, and Moses strikes it as God had commanded, and water pours out. Life-giving water. We've got to get still, we've got to listen, and then we've got to do together what God tells us to do, and God will provide what we need. And then that brings us to our New Testament story about the woman at the well. I love this story for so many reasons Mostly because God chooses someone that every rule in the book said, no, she can't be ordained by God to be an evangelist to the world with the good news of the gospel because she violates all the rules. She's a Samaritan. And we all know that people who are Samaritans, according to Jewish law, can't fully participate in the life of the church. And yet Jesus talks to her and chooses her, disciples come back and see him talking to her and doing that, and they're aghast. Oh my gosh, this is not just a social faux pas. He has broken the rules. Somebody quick, file a complaint. Somebody quick, take his credentials. Jesus blows that off. He chooses this woman who, by the way, is not a prostitute. There's nothing in the text that says she's a prostitute or even suggests that she's doing something immoral. She's a woman in a patriarchal system that required for a woman to survive, she had to be legally connected or in some way connected to the household of a man. We don't know why she's had five husbands. It could very well be that... She was unlucky, and one day her first husband woke up and said, you know what, burnt toast isn't it anymore, here's a writ of divorce. And the next one said, you know what, I've just decided you're used goods, I don't want you anymore, here's a writ of divorce. And done that five times would actually happen. And by the way, that's actually what Jesus is talking about when he talks about divorce in the Gospels. He's not setting the definition of marriage. He's talking about how women are being abused in a power system, and the men need to stop it. But I digress, that's another sermon too. And so Jesus chooses this woman who happens to be at the well at noon. Oh, well, that must be for some ulterior bad reason. No. If any of you have raised children, there are days when I don't get to the office on time because it just didn't go right that morning. Or it could be that, like some of us, she's not well. And so she is keeping her social distance and going to the well at a time when nobody else is going to be there. We don't know why she's there at noon other than... It was the hour when Jesus was going to be there. And she was anointed by God to be the chosen one who would proclaim the good news of the gospel. And the good news she proclaims, she doesn't understand it. The disciples don't understand it. The townspeople don't understand it until Jesus makes it clear to all of them is that Jesus is the source of life-giving water. And all of these things that we depend on, and they're good things when they work, but they don't always work. And for some people, they've never worked. 
when all of that starts falling apart and there's water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink, we're to turn to Jesus, who is the source of life giving water and these cups of ours that right now are so dry and so empty, if we will drink from God's well, center ourselves in the love and grace and power of God, we'll not only have a cup full, we'll have a cup that overflows into eternal life that is enough not just for us, but for all of our neighbors who are in need and who need to be reminded that there's enough for all of us, that there's a place at God's table for all of us, that there's enough water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. And Jesus said, come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I'm here to remind you that for those tears I died. God is with us. God will not forsake us. There is life-giving water sufficient for this moment and every moment of our lives. And that is the good news of the gospel. Thanks be to God. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen.